So learning to focus the mind to uh, the attitude of acceptance, relaxing into accepting rather than controlling and resisting, going against all the kind of conditioned reactions and habits in the world. You can see why a spiritual path is is considered one of the more difficult things to d- develop because many people who are very successful in the world have the greatest problems with the spiritual life because you can't just <coughs> just a clever mind and and powerful abilities to control manipulate the conditions of your mind or situations there are not uh, of any use in the uh, spiritual life. But it's not a kind of um, <coughs> wishy-washy, just uh, kind of resignation or or kind of uh, re- giving in to things, but to but being able to admit to be able to to be patient, and and especially this this. Uh, this faith in tr- in this obs- in this ability to witness and observe, because in the, this particular way we're observing the the arising and ceasing, the the changingness of conditionality. As you're experiencing it, it's not as as from your body, from what you see, uh, hear, smell, taste, touch, think all mental conditions so we have the we can use the the six ayatanas uh, one way of reflecting on the six groups of the eye the ear the nose the tongue the body and mind the five khandhas the rupa vedana sanya sankara vijnana but this is, these are convenient uh, teachings to uh, to contemplate, uh, in or, you know, groups that we're using, categories, in order to to notice, to pay attention to impermanence. And of course, the what's most easiest to see is the the uh, impermanence of thought or emotion, or just the object, just how sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and are you know fleeting experiences and then mental experience uh, the uh, the, uh, the conditions of the mind but that which is aware uh, the the buddha or that refuge in the buddha that that's the constant factor in this in this practice. The changing conditions that uh, we're observing, the changing, the the rising, the ceasing. But that which is observing is a isn't uh, isn't uh, like it isn't doesn't have a, a quality or a characteristic. So we call it refuge in the Buddha. It's awakenness. 
And then the people inevitably ask, well, what is it that, that really sees? You know, you, you want to, you, or you want to find out, who am I really? What is my true nature? And, 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 the, and this desire to know things uh, about things is so strong that, that uh, the problem isn't in knowing who you are. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, we're knowing what, you're, you're looking at what you are not. You're not the body, not the feelings, not the perceptions, not the mental formations, not consciousness. What's left? Well, you can't, you can't, you can't find yourself, can you? Because you don't need to. That's it. Just ability to. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to to know who you are, because the problem isn't with that. It's that you believe you're all kinds of things you're not. So we endlessly suffer over about what we think we are. But it's a tricky business because uh, we ne- inevitably want to 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 hold on to something, and this is like the the faith, or it's like they they call it like jumping off the hundred foot pole in the Zen tradition, or leaping into the abyss, or into the unknown, into the black hole, into these other frightening images of going into something dark and unknown. Because uh, you say the the desire mind wants to wants to make sure everything's going to be all right. I'll I'll leap off the cliff, or I'm sure there's a safety net to catch me. Now, when the mind is uh, kind of empty and clear, and and um, it's the the essential teaching of of the Buddha is the four noble uh, the four noble truths. So this this teaching is something to contemplate, and investigate. So if you want something to do, contemplate these four noble truths. And of course, uh, this is t- like the first noble truth. There is dukkha, or suffering, and dukkha is a Pali word which means that which we can't bear or it can be un, mean unsatisfactory. Sometimes the suffering is uh, just the using the word suffering uh, sometimes it gets the can give the wrong impression uh, of it just being some kind of miserable state but dukkha also can be applied to just the the uh, the unsatisfactoriness of Happiness, because happiness is is uh, is a temporary state, isn't it? It's not satisfying in itself. It it's kind of it's pleasurable, but but it's not dependable because it's dependent on so many other things. To be happy, you have to have things going right. You have to be feeling well. And so forth, so that 
happiness, we're not, we're not being kind of like sour grapes and saying happiness is suffering, is a, is a put down of happiness, but we're noting that happiness is an experience, what, is, 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 is a, it's a temporary experience. And, and when, you, when you just want happiness in life, you're always trying to, you're always, uh, you're busy trying to, to find it or get more of it. So people do, you know, much of the modern hedonistic ap- approach to life is to, is to endlessly go from one happy thing to another, one pleasurable experience into another. And in the process, it's, one gets burnt out or, or bored or depressed because it, it's tiresome to always be uh, looking for happiness. So happiness is, a, is a, even though in uh, America we say the right to happiness, we have the right to it. <laughs> I don't think the British have a right to happiness. The Americans do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and happiness is uh, still, is, even if you have the right to it, it's still an unsatisfactory experience. So dukkha is is to be understood, and so the, this, we notice when we the important uh, way of of the Buddha the phrase the phrasing of Buddhist teachings, because in many um, uh, cases it's very it's badly presented and misunderstood in, in like in comparative religious studies or something they'll say Buddhists believe that everything is suffering and the Buddha taught that everything is suffering and then the Christians will say but Jesus taught and, and then Jesus of course says something more inspiring than that <laughs> and so I one way of putting putting us down, but it uh, <clears throat> and, but that's not that's not the right and that's a misunderstanding. It's not it's not a categorical statement in the terms of of uh, a, a premise that you start with, or it's not metaphysical statement. You know, like saying everything is suffering, it's starting from the from a belief, uh, from a grasping of that view that everything is is suffering. But it's it's a mere statement, a reflective statement. There is suffering. So it, it's a it's a different. It's not where when you're trying to to put Buddhism into kind of a metaphysical position, it it uh, or a, a kind of you know a, a philosophical or categorical statement that you can say explains Buddhism. If you say uh, everything is suffering. Uh, that's not what is meant because uh, the first noble truth is more of a is is a pointing at an experience, not a categorical statement. So then, so then uh, apply this to yourself. Like if you say, if you're suff- if you notice you're suffering, and then. Usually you'd say, I'm suffering right now. I'm so unhappy. Uh, life is, is, uh, is miserable and I'm, I'm depressed and I don't feel very well anymore. I'm suffering is, is how we generally talk when we're suffering. We usually say, I am suffering. But a more effective way of doing it and reflecting is there when, 
when you feel this this suffering, experience of suffering, you say there is suffering. Because the the sense of I and suffering is uh, strongly, you know, you start with I'm suffering, it sounds, you know, you have a whole way of thinking about yourself that's very highly conditioned. And so, so you, you end up thinking, I, I don't want to suffer anymore. But when you're using this more reflective approach, and you say, when you're feeling miserable, unhappy, or uncertain, or anxious, or whatever, there is this. So it's a pointing, it's, it's getting you to look at, at something that you're feeling, or a mood, or a sensation, or something, or an experience that you're having. You're admitting it. But you're taking, you're not, you're not putting it in the usual frame of reference of it being my suffering or I am somebody who's suffering. But it is pointing, it, you're, it helps you to reflect on the actual experience of suffering. Then suffering should be understood. So in the Four Noble Truths you have three aspects of each Noble Truth. So the, the first is a statement, there is suffering. The second aspect of the First Noble Truth is what you should do about it. So you say, uh, suffering should be understood. So understanding suffering is the, is the second insight. There's, there's twelve insights uh, into the Four Noble Truths. So there's Four Noble Truths, three aspects of each truth which make twelve insights. A very neat package. <laughs> but if you can't follow that, just recognize that the, the, first of all, the first noble truth is the statement, there is suffering. The second noble truth, there is the cause of suffering. Uh, fourth, third noble truth, there is the cessation of suffering. Fourth Noble Truth, there is the way of non-suffering, there is the path, the Eightfold Path, which is the way of non-suffering. So, so you notice there's the, the, the statement of the problem there is, and its causes, it, and the, the way to let it, to, to cease, to, for it to cease, and the realization of its absence, and then the path or the way of living your life where you're not uh, creating suffering in, uh, into the remainder of your life. <clears throat> so it's, it's taking just this, this ordinary experience of suffering, and that everybody experiences suffering. So it's, it's the most common, it's, a, it's, the, uh, it's the bond amongst all human beings, isn't it? In Thailand, and oftentimes monks will say, Brothers and sisters in old age, sickness and death and suffering. As we're all, I mean, it's a common experience, whether, you know, you, no matter what race, nationality or whatever. It's a bond. We all, this is the most, this is something that, that, that we can understand, human suffering. So to understand it means like to, it, it doesn't mean to kind of define it in, in an abstract way or rationalize it, but to go to it. What is if I'm suffering right now? What is it? Understanding it means to to go right into it, feel it, 
stand under it, or like I use this word, embracing it, totally accepting the feeling or the the mood or the way it is. So if you're, you know, if you if you don't understand suffering, then you 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 tend to merely as soon as you start suffering, you want to get rid of it. You react to it. So the, the the tendency is always as soon as you feel unhappy or pain or anything that is unpleasant, then you just uh, how can I get rid of it? You know, change it, distract yourself, take some kind of medicine, do something to to get away from it. But notice this this advice is to understand it, stand under it, or really admit it, notice it, so that you embrace it, feel it. Which is going against the the reactive tendency to to try to uh, run away or find happiness and get rid of suffering. And then the so you should the, the second insight is this should business. You should understand it, and then through practicing understanding the suffering, then you have the third insight is. Suffering has been understood. So there's a statement of the of the problem itself, the prescription, and the result of taking the medicine. And then the second noble truth is there is a beginning or origin of suffering, which is the grasping of desire. So the second noble truth points to the desire, the nature of desire. And and uh, desire in Pali is dunha, which which well, there's three kinds of dunha that they they listed. You can put desire in three categories, like. Sense desire, desire for sense pleasures is one obvious kind of desire for beautiful objects or good food, this kind of desire. Sense, sense desire. And then there's the desire to become something. Like the, this is a, I want to become enlightened, I want to become successful, I want to become happy person, I want to become a wealthy person. I want I want to become someone who's respected. It's all me. Me. I want to become something. Uh, I, what I am right now is not good enough, and I want to become. So many, much of our even meditation is based on becoming. I want to become enlightened. And I'm, I'm not good enough the way I am. You know, I've got a lot of problems, weaknesses, faults. So I'm coming here so that I can learn how to meditate, so I can become. Somebody enlightened sometime in the future. Maybe. Is it possible? Ajahn Sumedho, for me to get enlightened. Well, it's hard work, you know, you've got to put a lot of effort into it, and it takes years. Hard slog. And someone like you. <laughs> 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 so then you think, maybe I can't become enlightened or 
I, you know, some people will say, well, maybe this lifetime it's beyond your hope, but you can maybe uh, by uh, living a moral life you can be reborn in a higher place. You can become a devada or an angel in the next, after you die. That sounds rather nice. (laughs) Become, desire to become a a devada in in the next life. Or, Sometimes the, the idea in Thailand, oftentimes, is that that if you if you're generous, uh, then you get reborn. You get, you're reborn as a beautiful-looking person. So in Thailand, where they they've got a lot of good-looking people, they are very generous people. So I think it's true. It <laughs> 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 must work. <laughs> But yet being born good-looking also is not the answer, is it? Mm-hmm. To still suffering to be good-looking. So, I mean, this isn't, uh, this is, is not a, a satisfactory uh, goal as far as I'm concerned. I uh, it's a very attractive uh, possibility. But the, so this desire for becoming, bhavadanha, pavadanha, you can see it in yourself. Just notice uh, the, all this kind of ambitiousness, or this, this wanting to get something you don't have, like a mental state, become something, achieve something, attain something. And, and so you're contemplating these desires, like desire for, like sexual desire is quite obvious, isn't it? Or desire for beautiful things, objects, or sense objects that are pleasing and the, the desire for them is, is quite an obvious uh, experience. But becoming, oh, sometimes we don't see that as desire. Because it, it's all, in the worldly sense, it's, it's, it's right to, you know, to become, want to be a success, want to become a better person, wanting, wanting to become something, a rich person, wanting to become successful wanting to become someone who, who's respected and all this is, is normal behavior for worldly, in worldly values. But so, that, 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 but so this is an emphasis that's worth investigating, just to, to notice what desire is. And then, then the third kind of desire is called vipavadana, which means a desire to get rid of, desire to destroy, deny, get rid of things. So there's a, I found that, that, that if I'm a very, I would tend to be a very Whippawadunha type person. As they, before I, when I ordained as a monk, I, I'm more, please, I'm more of an uh, uh, inclined towards annihilation than towards eternal happiness. The, the idea of going into oblivion is more an attractive possibility than being happy forever. And some people would rather be happy forever and find annihilation threatening. But I mean, these are different different tendencies of different people. But the idea of living in heaven for eternity as as me as a person, as, as not, as, I can't imagine anything worse than that. <laughs> It'd be another hell. You know, I'd have to 
to be a human, you know, this this kind of a separate entity for eternity, happy all the time. But oblivion sounds, you know, just to not exist is uh, is, uh, is 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 sounds all right. I don't mind just not, you know, disappearing into a void. But there's still the desire, isn't the desire to get rid of to to not exist. And so this is, uh, or desire to get rid of things, desire to get rid of bad thoughts, desire to get rid of anger and greed, desire to get rid of sleepiness and dullness, and desire to get rid of of uh, doubts and worries and restlessness. Desire to, to get rid of is is a very strong kind of desire. It also has a kind of righteous quality to it. Desire to get rid of bad things is seems like the right thing to do, isn't it? Desire to to get rid of to to get rid of all evil. So that's a, that's we should we should get rid of evil. So Vipavadana oftentimes has a a lot of uh, wicked things are done out of Vipavadana in the world. Kill the witches, burn the heretics, and so forth. Get rid of your enemies to to destroy and get rid of what you don't like. So notice this in in your own this desire to get rid of. Now desire then is. It's a, it's an energy you can be you, that with awareness, mindfulness. You can you can observe desire as an object. It's, a, it's always looking for something. It's never it's always moving towards something. It's always trying to get something or become something or get rid of something. So when you when you identify with desire, then you think you are the desires. And, uh, but actually, with mindfulness, isn't it, you can observe desire. That which is aware can see desire as a mental object. So, desire can't see desire. One desire can't see another desire. But that which is not desire can see, knows desire as desire. So this is why your refuge in the Buddhist phraseology is in the Buddha. So the Buddha knows the way it is. So desire is then seen uh, and and recognized. So with desire, you uh, you have to study it. You know, feel it, know it, experience desire. So, uh, but in the in the, in the way of investigating, and so you you really, it it has no way of deluding your 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 mind anymore. So we're not coming from the idea you should get rid of all your desires, because sometimes people think of Buddhists that we, we're all here, you know, determined to get rid of our desires. Monks, nuns, we're all here to get rid of sexual desire, get rid of greed, and all these bad desires. We're, 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 we're attacking them all the time, trying to get rid of them. That's not what we're doing. It's we're studying, we're knowing, we're understanding, we're, we're feeling these desires, we're, 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 we're in this in idea of investigating, looking into, insight into. So you know it. 
you know what it is. You know, you, you feel it. As soon as, if you really understand desire, as soon as desire, as soon as there is desire, you know what it is immediately. Because it can't delude you anymore. Because where if you're just, if you're just trying desperately to get rid of desires, you're always going to fail. So you're always, you feel, I can't meditate, I can't, you know, I'm so full of desires, it's just hopeless. You give up and feel despair. But if you, the, so, so that's not the, that's not the, we're not coming from the place of denial or extermination, because this is a desire realm we're living in. The body is a desire body, isn't it? It's a sexual body. It has sexual drive. These are natural drives. The desire, this is a desire realm. Desire for becoming, annihilation, and, and procreation, and so forth. So this is, it's, this is, desire is natural to this realm. We wouldn't have been born into it if, if we hadn't any desires. This is the result of desire. So we're studying the desire and, and looking at desire and, and investigating desire so that you can know because desire is not self. So when you, when you see desire and really in, in, in see that the grasping of desire is the cause of suffering, not desire, as a, as, but the grasping of desire. And this is a very important emphasis uh, uh, in Buddhism. It's the, the emphasis, because like the body is a desire body and all these things are just, you know, this is a desire realm. So it's not, it's not it's kind of putting it down as something that shouldn't exist. This is what we... This is what we're experiencing in consciousness, all these desires, the pulls, the, the, the changing conditions. The, the, I mean, when you see something you like, you want it, you know, you're attracted to it. You see something beautiful and you feel pulled towards the beauty, or you, you see something ugly and you feel repelled by it. That's natural, that's not like personal neuroses or anything wrong with you, it's just the natural movement in, in this realm of attraction, aversion, and desire. But notice in, the, in your refuge, you're, you're, you're transcending the, the desire realm, which isn't, which isn't meaning you're destroying it. It means you're, you're able to see it as a mental object. So that's why mindfulness is the way. It's a, this pure state of, 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 of ontological transparent awareness. How's that one? <laughs> Sustained ontological transparent awareness. Probably think, I don't think I can do, manage that one. I think I'll become a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs>
So the, then the insight into desire is uh, uh, that because there is this grasping of desire, then the insight is to let go, letting go of desire. So with the second noble truth, the insight is, is the letting go, letting go of things. So to let go of desire, you've got, you've got to recognize, admit it. Desire is like this. You're feeling it. You know it. You're attached to it. You know what attachment to desire is, suffering. You, you're, you're not just believing these things because uh, the books say so, but you're actually, you know, feeling it, r- realizing it yourself. So then the insight is letting go of desire. And then the third insight into the Noble Truth, is, uh, the second insight is desire should be let go of. And then the third is the realization. And when you actually practice, put it into practice, you actually let go of desire, there's, there's the awareness of desire has been let go of. So notice that like, like suffering and desire, attachment, the conditioned realm, uh, all this the, uh, pointing to, to experience in the present, ordinary human experience in the present moment. Nothing's kind of mystical or, or you know, outside the, anyone's direct experience in the present. But it is this awakenness, isn't it? It's, it's uh, the, the, this, this awareness we're using, or watching, uh, and we're using wisdom. You develop, you're using wisdom and mindfulness as to inform your conscious experience, because this, we're conscious beings, so that consciousness is our, con- we're, we're experiencing consciousness, which means we're experiencing life from this point here. From this, this, this position here, yeah, I'm experiencing, you're in my mind right now. Do you realize that? You know, as far as actual, at this moment, I'm looking at you, you're in my, you're in, in the mind. You see, that's, because this is a, this is a conscious formation that can, uh, and so the mind isn't just, I don't mean that you're, you're, you're up in the brain or anything like that, but we're po- pointing to the, that, the, that this is more like a, a radio or some kind of instrument that picks up these things. So we can, like sight and sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, and all that are, are functions in consciousness. But these are mere kind of vehicles or, <coughs> or instruments but they're not like permanent souls or selves or when we identify, when we, when we kind of fully identify with the instrument. It's just not the way it really is. So when we're, 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 you know, if you think you're a radio, you know, you can be a bit, you think you're really, that person's really, you know, 
got it all wrong. But we do think we are the body. Then the third noble truth is there is the cessation of suffering or the ceasing. The ceasing of dukkha or desire. And in, in this, the desire and dukkha are synonymous. And you can use dhanha or dukkha. And so the, when you let go of desire, when you, when then, and you're aware of it, because desire is an, is an object, you're aware of its presence, you, as you study it, you realize what grasping desire is like, that it's suffering. You let go. Just like grasping fire, isn't it? You realize it hurts, you let go of it. You're not going to hold on to it anymore once you realize that the grasping fire hurts. So then you, you let go of the fire. <laughs> and then you realize what it's like not to be grasping something painful and hurting you. Letting go has been realized, and then there is a cessation of suffering. So the suffering ceases, and you realize the absence of suffering. So just to say, applying that to, um, and, and, and the, the, then the insight into the third noble truth is suffering, the, the cessation should be realized. So this word realization is is very interesting word because it it's something you know it's 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 the reality of things to to realize cessation means that that your that that the desire is ceased and you're you're aware of it the absence of it the reality of non-desire <coughs> is like this. So in, in this, with mindfulness, the sustained awareness and so forth, you, you, you're, you're, getting, you're, you're beginning to uh, get a feeling for the practice of Nibbāna. The word Nibbāna or Nirvana means realizing non-attachment. So in the Mahayana schools, they say, they, they give these kind of enigmatic paradoxes like samsara and nibbana, nibbana and samsara and so forth. Like, nibbana is, in Theravada, oftentimes you get into these kind of very doctrinal attitudes. And nibbana is almost kind of, you know, has nothing, nothing more to do with samsara. It gets kind of polarized. But as actual experience, you'll find like samsara is is that when you're when you're in the world and you're attached and you're and and then as soon as there's awareness and you let go there's a realization of nibbana or nibbana is you're still experiencing the same phenomena but you're no longer attached to it so say you there's a desire and you're attached that's samsara there's a desire and you're not attached is nibbana Realization of nibbana. So desire might be, maybe your a desire arises in your mind, but when you know it and you don't attach to it, then it you don't get pulled into the samsara. As soon as you attach to it, then you become that desire. So 
Like whatever you touch, you become that way. That's what, like rebirth is, in terms of experience, is that you're, if you uh, say, right, somebody insults you, and, and you feel, and somebody says, uh, insults you, and you feel uh, the vipaka kama of this insult, you feel this, fe- you, this feeling arises. There's awareness. If you attach to the feeling, then you become somebody who's offended and angry at being insulted. If you're, if you're not, if you don't grasp it, then there's awareness of the feeling itself. But you don't grasp it. So, so even though the vipaka kama or your, the resultant kama uh, might be that you, because we we are. We have, you know, we live on this planet and we've made lots of karma with each other and people say things and all that and they affect us. So, this is, so when somebody insults me, I can still feel, I know what's happening. It doesn't feel nice. You know, somebody sa- says some nasty thing to me. It's not like I'm oblivious, you don't feel it. But I know that, I know I know what, what's happening, so I don't grasp it. Train myself not to grasp that, that feeling or that, that which has a, a, arisen in the present. So in this way, you're not making more karma with this, with the, with this condition. Where if, say, if somebody insults me, and then, and then I think, then I grasp that, that feeling like, how dare you talk to me like that? And, uh, and all that. Then, then I'm making karma with it. I become somebody who's insulted, you hurt my feelings, I'm indignant. Or maybe I'm just saying, uh, I'm just trying to deny it. I'm just saying, I don't feel anything, I don't care what people think. I must forgive them anyway. person is Obviously, suffering has problems of his own, and and uh, of course, you know, I I feel compassion, <laughs> but it's, it's still you're making karma with it, aren't you? You're you're, you're identifying with it, and you maybe you're, you're you're you want to punch him in the nose, or you or you're trying desperately to be this noble, all forgiving person, but it's still karmic. You still there's still attachment. To it, but in the in, when there is this recognition of it for what it is, then then there's no you don't attach. So the realization of niroda or of nibbana of non-attachment. But you might still feel, you know, that, that's why this in the with with dhamma you're, you're observing what it's like to be conscious and have feelings and all that, and perceptions. But you're no longer identifying, clinging to these, to these five khandas, rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana. So then, cessation has been realized, then the Eightfold Path, the insight is, the Eightfold Path is the way of non-suffering or way of not creating suffering onto the vipaka of your life. So, 
So say I'm, I'm was born, so now I'm 62-year-old person. The result of being born is that you get old if you don't die young. So, uh, 62 is, is the result of birth. And if I'm attached to the idea of I'm 62 years old, then but if, if I recognize that this is just the natural result of birth, a human, human body being born, living 62 years, this is the result. It's, uh, you know, it's still a still 62-year-old body and all that, but it's, but there's no non-attachment non to it, non-identity. So you don't create suffering around being 62 years old. If I'm attached to the idea that I'm somebody who's 62 years old, then, and, and, and say I don't like to be that, I want to, uh, I mean, I like people to, maybe if I'm vain, I think somebody says, uh, you don't look 62, I just made you. I could easily pass for 35. And I <laughs> that's what I want to hear. <laughs> that, that's because I'm, I'm attached to the, uh, to, you know, that, that being 62 is suffering and I don't like it. But if it's not self, if it's just the way it is, then it doesn't matter, you know. It's just the, it's just the, the vipaka kama of birth. Or you know I've I've living in a community uh, or here in in, uh, in Britain for twenty years and then uh, living in with the monks and the nuns there's certain karmic things that So that you get the vipaka of it. So like, I'm a upachar, I mean, you know, I can ordain monks and nuns, so I can, I give them, give them ordinations. So then you give them, you know, that's like, they, they get ordained as, and then they, then, then the vipaka of it is that they disrobe. <laughs> so if you if <laughs> so if you if you if you if you're attached to the idea of them you know of of just ordaining and then uh, and and without you know then and you're you, this is what you want them you know you 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 the desire for them to to stay as monks and nuns and then they disrobe, then, then, or then you can suffer when they disrobe. But if you're, if you're aware of all this, then you still feel it when they disrobe. It doesn't, when, when a monk or nun disrobes, I've never felt happy and joyful. And it's not a feeling like when somebody disrobes and you, you just, you're really happy about it. There's always a, there's a sense of, you know, it's a, it, it, the vipaka of it, it that I feel is a kind of grief or that of when somebody leaves the sangha. So I mean it, but that's the vipaka kama. 
rather than uh, the uh, which which I you know which which I can not grasp if I, when I'm mindful I don't grasp the vipaka kama that arises in the present. But that doesn't mean I don't feel anything when somebody disrobes. You know, you see, don't feel a thing. I'm so advanced now. <laughs> nothing, nothing touches me, nothing affects me. Somebody calls me a, a, an obscene name and I don't even feel it. I don't even know what they mean. I'm so pure. <laughs> All those nasty words, I have no, I've completely lost my memory of what they mean. It's not like amnesia or senility. (laughs) 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 When somebody you love dies. I remember when when my mother died about eight years ago. And, uh, And I thought... You know, I was, I, 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 I went, my father died eight months previous to my mother and then went, went to California to see my mother and, uh, and then I was with her for about a week and then I went off to teach a retreat uh, up, up in San Francisco and she was in San Diego and then the day after I left, after I, my sister and my mother took me to the airport and said goodbye and and, that, and then the next morning, my sister phoned and said, "My mother died." And so, so that what is what is that 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 just the, on a telephone? Your sister says your mother's died. You get a certain feeling. I didn't didn't it wasn't I couldn't understand what she was saying, or that I didn't feel it. It feels this way when because uh, I loved my mother, so the loss of the sense of mother dying was like this. You could, you could feel it, you know, aware of that feeling. But there's, so it, it, it was, it was, a, it was a, an acceptance and a willingness to feel it too. It wasn't, I shouldn't feel like that, but, uh, or a resistance or a rejection, but it was a willingness to feel loss as a, as a natural experience. And so then I, then I, uh, I started, I, that, I had to start that very evening giving a retreat, a 10-day retreat, which was about the last thing I wanted to do, you know, but there was no one else who, who could do it. None of the people wanted to, were, who were counting on this retreat. So I, so I had to uh, kind of uh, make myself teach. Uh, which I could do, you know, I can gather, you know, consider the circumstances and rise to the occasion. And then in the middle of the retreat, I had to fly down to the funeral in San Diego. And, uh, and so, but uh, being aware of all that was happening to me, I mean, there was the feeling and, and the, the, the actual funeral and the uh, burial and so forth was, was, uh, was definitely part of the practice and one was but there was a willingness to to feel it and be with it 
But at that time, I still had a, I still tended to, I was, I was, I was still very much uh, examining the feeling of grief and the, the, you know, being really looking into it and really accepting the feeling of grief. And so that, that was, uh, that was where I was at then. And it was interesting uh, with uh, Lung Po Cha's death and uh, then last uh, June, Master Xuan Hua, uh, another monk I had great respect for, he died in uh, California. So I went to uh, Master Hua's funeral last uh, July. I had to fly uh, from here uh, and you're, I mean, this is during our rains retreat season. I had to, I could only go for seven nights. Ajahn Sajito and Sister Sangamita and I, we flew to California, attended the funeral. And just when we meditated on, on uh, we, could, we could see, uh, they had him in a coffin and you could see his face. Uh, and so I, I was meditating on the face of Master Wan. I was just observing, you know, just watching this experience of, of the grief would come when I'd think Master Hua is dead. And then you know, I was looking, my eyes were visually seeing his dead face, which looked quite nice. You know, it was quite, wasn't like an unpleasant sight. But uh, I, I was looking at his face and then the thought, Master Hua is dead. And that, that kind of thinking uh, would bring this feeling of grief. And then I, then I practiced going from thinking into the silence of the mind, and then there's no grief. It's like letting go of grief. But it wasn't suppressing it. It wasn't like trying to get rid of grief. But it was just the ability to observe the difference between how thought does affect us when we think, and, and we're, 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 we're with these thoughts and we're feeling the thought and this, then Master Hua is dead, feels like this. And then shifting into the silence of the mind, the pure awareness, without thought, then I felt a, a, a kind of joyfulness. Because uh, with Master Hua, it's different. Well, the karma with Master Hua is very different from the karma with my mother. Uh, and with Master Hua, he was uh, more or less a symbol for the higher teaching, for truth and, and selflessness. So, so that, you know, the, just being able to, to, in the silence of the mind, in that purity, realize that, that actually it's just a condition dying, ending, you know, that, that what rea- one really loved and, and that wasn't, doesn't die. You know, the, the body of Master Hua and the person of Master Hua and all that dead. But, but he, but actually because uh, my relationship with him was based on, a, on monastic life and on meditation practice, then it was very clear the, the, the kind of joy and, and uh, uh, of 
of realizing what what is really true is deathless. What is truly beautiful and that is is deathless. So you can see it's a way beyond transcending grief itself. But but notice what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're getting rid of grief. One needs to really understand these these feelings that we have, this, the way things are, because it's not. We're not trying to just not feel grief, not feel anger, not feel anything, but but be able to use these very experiences and the vipaka kama of our lives for understanding and for letting go, for realization of the path, of the way of of non-suffering or the Eightfold Path. So the Eightfold Path then has the right understanding because there's this this understanding is that you have, that that you have say from contemplating the, the three noble truths, the first three noble truths. The suffering its cause cessation. Then there's, then there's a there, there's a perfect understanding there of it, and from that comes an intention. You, what you intend. Your attitude. Goes toward, doing good and refraining from doing bad, because you still have, a life to live as a human entity. So, your intention then is to say live a moral life. To like right action, right speech, right livelihood. So the eight eight folds of the eightfold path are the right understanding, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. So that deals with your physical existence, how you're going to live, use your body and speech for the rest of your life. And then right effort right mindfulness, right concentration, are the last three. So last the last three fold. So right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration is is mental, isn't it? It's the the effort, there's an you know, the, the right amount of effort to live your life and balanced with um, mindfulness is the kind of uh, middle point where you can you, you with mindfulness you can you're, you're aware of effort and concentration. So the, these are the, the folds of the path. They, they, they work together. They support each other. It's not like a, a linear progression, but more of a rising together uh, in a moment of the path as a way of, of living and relating, responding to the experiences that we have in the present. But then it's coming from wisdom and right understanding. So then there's a spontaneity and 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 ability to to uh, learn and to uh, live life in a way that is of great benefit to oneself and, and all other beings. Because we're all interconnected, interdependent. So this, these four noble truths they are is a teaching that 
that, say, I've used for 30 years now. But it's really, really kind of, uh, you know, taking, taking those, those four truths and, and just studying and investigating and watching and listening and, and experimenting and learning from it. It's a, it, the Four Noble Truths is the Buddha's first sermon after his enlightenment. Uh, when he was, after he was enlightened, then he, uh, in fact, the, the story goes, he, he, he was enlightened, sitting under the Bodhi tree, and the first thought that came to his mind after enlightenment was, this is so subtle, nobody's going to understand it. There is a kind of reticence, maybe, to think, you know, you know, there's, there's a feeling of, because it's so such an imminent exp- uh, uh, realization, you think no one, no one can understand it. And then, as the, then the the God uh, Brahma Sahampati comes, one of the Brahma gods, and says, "Please, please, for the welfare of those with only a little dust in their eyes, teach the Dhamma." And so. So, uh, so this is a, in the, the language of mythology and legend, but but anyway, this, then the Buddha said, "Well, who 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 can I recall now that would probably understand, that might be able to understand?" And so he thought of various teachers, and then through his psychic powers, he realized they were dead. And then he remembered these five uh, friends he had that had deserted him, and. So he decided he was going to go see these five friends, and they went off from Bodhgaya to what is now uh, Saranath, they're near Benares, walked there. And on the way, he met another ascetic, and this ascetic said, uh, oh, you, you have this radiant quality, what is it that you've realized? And the Buddha says, I have realized uh, perfect enlightenment. I have nothing more to do. I'm completely free from all delusion. They said it looks at him and, mm, well. <laughs> 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 and walks off in the other direction. <laughs> so then he goes to the, the, the deer park in Benares and the the disciples, the, the, the friends who had kind of deserted him thinking that he was uh, getting uh, soft because they, they were all very strict, uh, hardline ascetics. They, they, they saw him coming and they said, here comes that soft man, that weak, that weakling. And they said, maybe, you know, when you're a hardcore ascetic, you really despise people who eat milk rice or delicious things. You see, when you see us eating ice cream, you just feel disgust. (laughs) Give us nettle soup every day. (laughs) Then they, uh, eventually they, 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 they they, they, they say something changed about Gotama, what is it? What did you realize? So then the Buddha gave his first sermon, which is the, the, 
the Four Noble Truths. The suffering, its causes, cessation, power. Now that was the skillful means he used in which uh, he taught, in which he established that what we now regard as Buddhism, the teaching of the Dhamma, was established on those Four Noble Truths. And it was very interesting to to uh, to experiment with it because uh, because I've been a monk for for a long time and used that you know how how that that particular teaching I find just uh, something that that really uh, you know it's not like you you kind of study it your first year and then you don't need it anymore but it's actually you know it, you're applying it you those realizations and and that are very profound. So it's a teaching to, it's not an intellectual teaching, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a formula to use for reflecting on experience. So these, these are, you know, they're, they're insight, they're something, they're not just uh, kind of abstract ideas or theories, Buddhist theories, but they're, they're you're, you know them for yourself, like the taste of honey. And if you taste honey, then you know what it, what its flavor is. If you don't taste honey, you can't possibly know really what it tastes like, even with the best descriptions. And the Dhamma, if you taste the Dhamma, then you really know yourself what the flavor of it is. Uh, and therefore you don't need all, all kinds of descriptions about it. You, you actually know it yourself. It's an insight knowledge. Where much of our life is based on belief in what somebody says or tells us. And uh, that, but this is, this is, this practice is for this going right into it and, and reali- realizing the truth and realizing the deathless. Now notice that this, this teaching is about the realization of deathlessness, of, of, of transcending the death-bound conditions. So in this way, it's not, it's not just a, a kind of psychological, uh, worldly psychological teaching, but it is a transcendent teaching, it's a proper religion. That's what religion does. Its aim of religions too is pointing towards the transcendent, towards the deathless. Humanism might point towards, you know, being a good guy and not having uh, setting up utopian community with a good economic system, political system, social system, you know, that earthbound and planetary uh, proper eco- ecological management of the planet in a perfect society. It would be a kind of humanistic approach, but as a religion is. It's um, it it if you know if a religion is its aim is is to connect to the transcendent or the divine again, to, so that it it's pointing at that towards the deathless, and so the Buddha Dhamma is is that kind of a teaching. It's a practical way of of uh, investigating experience to get beyond the delusions we have around the body and the conditioning of your mind. So, it's enough.
for Noble Crew's teaching.